Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Hey, hey, welcome back to Drink Less, Live More. I'm not sure if I'm saying welcome back to all of you or to me, because I have taken a little hiatus if you haven't noticed. But either way, welcome back to both of us or all of us uh, to the podcast. So, you know, I've been on a, I call it school schedule personally (laughs) for a couple of years. I sort of just settled into the fact that, you know, life gets a little bit more disruptive in the summer, you know, camp schedules with kids, fun, like we want to have some fun too. Um, and so I just was like, you know, I think I'm just going to be on a school calendar. Like I'm going to do the basic work, like the clients that I have, those types of things in the summertime. Like I'll do all that. I'll do all that time that around Christmas time. But honestly, you know, I, I kind of operate on that schedule where I take a bit of a sabbatical in the summer and sometimes I'll take, you know, like the month of May. I just, I was, I just took the month of May off because I had had a really busy month of April and I just wanted a break. And I was starting to notice that my creativity and the ideas that were coming, you know, to me and my energy around the work just wasn't quite there. And so it was like, maybe this makes sense to take a little bit of a break. So I am fully a believer in sabbaticals. So, and I would have never, you know, I heard, uh, you know, people taking it in like the faith-based world or people taking a sabbatical from education or, you know, some of the less corporate types of positions. And I thought, like, I used to think like, what do you need three months off for? Like, what are you going to do? Aren't you going to be bored? And now that I, you know, run my own business, the creativity mostly comes from me. I need that. I need that break just to say, okay, I'm going to pause for a little bit and not really think too much about the business and growing the business or creating new content for the business. I'm just going to do the kind of basics, right? To keep the business going. So the one-on-one coaching, a couple of workshops here and there, but I say no to most of those in the summer. So it just made me think, gosh, imagine if everyone had the opportunity to do this. If everyone was able just to take some sabbatical, you know, I think it's part of the reason why we have so much burnout in our workplaces is because that's just not allowed. You know, people have unlimited PTO now, but when you look at the data on that, people don't use it. So they actually use less PTO than they did before, which is so interesting to me. Um, and it sounds great. You know, I mean, when it first came out, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what we need, but people really aren't taking it because we're so conditioned to, just produce and work hard all the time. And it just, it's not realistic. Like we're human beings. We're not machines. We weren't built to live that way. And so it just made me think, gosh, what if everyone could just take a few months off and then come back? Cause I come back stronger than ever. So I'm back now for weekly episodes, probably through, you know, the spring of next year. So you'll be hearing weekly episodes, uh, from here on out. And I am jazzed. I mean, I am like jacked up, ready to go. I'm so excited about it. And, you know, I didn't have any ideas for a while. And I was kind of just like, you know, like maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just never going to get ideas again. And I've had that thought a couple of times in the last four years of running this business. And I've recognized that that's just never true. I always have ideas because I love this work. Sometimes I just need a break from it. And then I come back with more clarity around the ideas. So I'm not kidding you. 
Last week I went for a walk because you know I love to walk and I do all my best thinking while I'm walking and I was listening to a podcast and I suddenly just had like 30 ideas for topics for this podcast. I'm not joking. So I instantly, sometimes I like, I would take off because I'm like, oh, I love that. I love the title of this one. I got to like pull off the side of the Monon and put it in my OneNote. And so I would jot them down real quick, but I came back and just like brain dumped and it was great. And I felt like so much energy. I loved everything about it. So this particular episode is one of those that I think is a really good title. And it's something that I pull off to the side of the, the walkway to, to jot down. And it's called compounding shame. And I know shame isn't the funnest topic, but it's something we really have to talk about. Um, It doesn't feel good for any of us. It's a really tricky emotion because it can stick around for a really long time. So when we talk about other emotions, typically they kind of go away. Like if you're really mad, it kind of goes away after a certain amount of time. Might turn into resentment if you don't address it, but you know what I mean. If you're really happy, that only lasts so long. You know, all of the emotions have sort of a life cycle. But shame, on the other hand, if we don't talk to our shame in a specific way, it can really hang on and it can actually compound and get worse, which is the only emotion that really does that, which is fascinating to me. So let's talk about this. First of all, I do want to just share with you, because I try to be really honest about where I am in this whole journey, you know, especially after I take breaks and I come back. And I just want to tell you where I'm at with alcohol right now. And so, and you know what I love about this is this is my version, but my whole program, my whole methodology is that I don't tell you what your version is. I have no idea what you should be doing with alcohol. Not a clue. That is for you to decide, but I want to give you some tools and I want to give you some intentional time to actually figure that out. And to help you quiet the noise from how we've been socialized and all these things that get in our way of actually making changes that we want to change in our life. And so I'm just going to share with you where I'm at with alcohol. So, you know, when I first took my almost year long break, I was kind of like, you know, I don't know if I really want to quit drinking completely, but you know, this is interesting to me. So I was really, truly just curious. I wanted to see what happened. And then I started incorporating some alcohol back in my life. And I kind of had ebbs and flows of that, where I'd have some drinks and then I wouldn't have drinks for, you know, a couple of months. And then I'd have some drinks and I wouldn't have drinks for a couple of months. All through that whole journey, I never once had more drinks than, uh, than I could have and still drive. So I was always like, okay, that was sort of like, okay, I just don't want to drink more than, um, than would allow me to drive. And so that was kind of always sort of the, I don't know if it was a rule, but sort of like the guardrail. And Honestly, I volunteer to drive all the time places now, which I would have never done three years ago. I was always like, who's going to drive me? Like, what's going to happen here? Um, But I volunteer to drive places all the time because that's just an easy one for me. Because then it's like, okay, one and done if I'm going to have a drink or none, you know? So like this weekend, we'll go to an outdoor concert, Connor Prairie, if you're local. And they're doing like our symphony does symphony music. And then like, there's a singer, singers uh, at this particular one. And it's all Broadway music, which, you know, I love. So we go to that and there's, you bring, you pack picnic baskets. People drink lots of wine. I used to drink lots of wine at this thing. I thought it was so classy to sit on the picnic blanket and drink a lot of wine. And then, you know, my husband would drive us home and I just always say I'll drive. It's like Saturday I'll drive. Cool. So then my husband's like, all right, you know, he'll have a few drinks and I won't and I'll drive my family home safe and it will feel lovely. And so I actually really love that feeling. It feels great. So 
you know, where I'm at right now, I would say in the summer, I, this, this particular summer, I have had probably more drinks than I did last summer, but I don't count them because I don't care about that. Like it's sort of like a real time, like, how am I doing with this? Like I'm constantly just very intentional with it. Mindful drinking, which is what I call it. And, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've had a couple of drinks back to back and I could really feel it. Like I, I, my body felt it, you know, I know I've shared, I've Um, worn this aura ring for a little while. And that kind of gives you some sleep metrics and readiness scores and all those things. And I'm like, you can see exactly when it starts to, you know, slide downhill. And so I'm like, okay, I don't really like that. And so, you know, just always sort of having a pulse on that. I look at it as a very like interesting experiment, but I know there are many people that are like, I just don't want to do that. Like that feels like too much work. And I get it because there are times where I'm like, same, like I'm not in a place to do that much work. I don't want to do anything. So I'm just not going to drink because I don't have to worry about it. So I totally get that. But, you know, I think where I'm at right now with alcohol is that I will have some ebbs and flows of drinking and not drinking. And that really feels like a good place for me to be in. I'm not overdoing it. There was one time this summer that I had three drinks while with friends that were in town and I hadn't seen for a while. I had three drinks out by the pool and I woke up and I was like, oh, I, could, I couldn't have driven a car that night. I would have never driven a car that night. And I didn't feel good the next morning. And so I started thinking about how shame, because I experienced shame that morning. You know, I woke up and I'm like, damn it, Rachel, like, what were you thinking? And it was sort of like the way I was starting to talk to myself was old pattern of behavior. Um, gosh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. You know, you've done all this work. You know all of this information. You have read so many books. You know that alcohol is really bad for you. You know better. And you still did it anyway. And so like that whole narrative started. And then I was like, ooh, I haven't experienced this for a while. And I think this is one of the primary reasons people don't choose to try to, you know, mindfully drink or kind of go through this process because it sucks. Like it sucks to feel that amount of shame. And so in some circumstances, is it appropriate? Is it earned shame? Maybe. But in this circumstance, I'm like, wait a minute, I have tools for this. First of all, am I feeling guilty or am I feeling shame? Okay. Guilty. Yeah. I did something wrong. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of that, but like, I really like my narrative was more shame narrative. It was like, you're an idiot. What were you thinking? You know, better than this. Like, Like, come on. And so you know, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's look at that. And let's like start talking to myself in a different way. So the narrative back to myself with this shame experience was, oh, well, yeah, I have read a lot. I have learned a lot. Wow. That's actually really great. I've learned a lot in three years and I know a lot more than I did three years ago. Also, I had 40 years before that where I was conditioned and socialized to believe that alcohol was great. And it was a really wonderful thing for adults to get to have. And I didn't get to have it when I was a kid because, you know, I just wasn't ready for the responsibility. Um, But now I am because I'm an adult, you know, so much of that narrative. Plus I was with people that I always drank with. And so I was like, of course, you know, so I started thinking about, I'm like, well, of course I would fall into that pattern. That makes total sense to me, actually. So I kind of flipped out, flipped myself out of that more emotional brain where the shame was really taking hold. And I was having this negative talk, you know, narrative that was kind of spiraling and put myself more in the logical side of my brain, the smart brain, 
where I'm like, wait a minute. Well, now this actually makes sense that I've had so much experience on this side of things. And I've only had three years of experience. I'm like a toddler with some of this stuff, you know, where I'm trying to sort of have it shift into something different, you know, and change. And honestly, you all, this works for anything. So like this particular thing, it can work for anything. And that's what I think is beautiful about what I do with people is that you will find that this solves so many other problems. It's not just alcohol when you can start to know how to talk back to yourself. So, you know, it took me about an hour or so with this sort of back and forth narrative. Sometimes I write things down because otherwise if I don't get it out of my head and on a piece of paper, it just really spirals. And so I started writing, okay, let's, let's right size the shame. Like what is really true here? And I started, you know, going through the, well, you know, you've had 40 years of conditioning to have you believe this way. And you've only had three years to have you believe this way. And so of course you're going to, you know, have some times where you go back into that old pattern of behavior. Your brain is built that way. Like you, you don't even sometimes have a choice because your brain's just going to do it unless we stop it. You know, unless we stop the more emotional part of our brain or prehistoric brain from taking over and, and we don't flip ourselves up into our smart brain. That's what, that's what gets us stuck. So, you know, I started thinking about how I didn't drink that much. It's like I felt terrible and was hungover all day in bed. And I was like, dang, I used to drink way more than this and I didn't experience this much shame. So I started thinking about compounding shame. And I just, you know, I've been reading more about this. I've done a lot of work on this research-wise around food. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but, you know, I was reading this one research study about how we assign foods as good or bad, you know, like this is good, this is bad. And so when we go to eat the donut, our brain knows that this is bad food. It is bad, bad, bad. And so immediately our cortisol, our stress hormones start to spike because our brain is like, oh no, you're doing something bad. And our brain wants to do good things. You know, I mean, it doesn't like to, to feel like it's doing something bad or being caught by, you know, mom or dad for doing something bad and getting slapped on the wrist. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. So if you have been conditioned for 40 years to believe that donuts are terrible for you, if you eat a donut, you're going to feel bad about yourself. Like you're going to have an emotional response. There's going to be a stress response to eating something that is supposedly terrible for you. And you know, when I look at that and I'm like, oh, it's a donut. I'm like, it's just a fucking donut. (laughs) Like it's, you're not like declaring war on the Ukraine. It's a fucking donut. So let's right size the shame here. That really isn't true. If you eat a thousand donuts a day, you're going to be in trouble, you know? So it's like, okay, like let's really right size the shame over one donut. So I think the same thing is true for alcohol. So if you have tried many times to quit drinking or to take breaks, and then you end up back where you were before, or sometimes even worse, it's because of the shame. And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but like one of the primary reasons is the shame. So you've tried it and now you failed again. Oh my gosh, now I feel so much more shame. That's compounding shame. It is just shame piled on top of shame. Okay, so now, okay, I can get myself back in this. Okay, I'm gonna do this again. I'm gonna quit drinking forever. And then we don't quit drinking forever and we start drinking again and bam, shame. And what's going to make that shame go away? What is the best escape for shame or one escape for shame? Alcohol. If you drink alcohol, then that shame feeling, which is awful, will go away. 
and you stop the inner critic, you stop the whole narrative, great. And so you just keep staying in that cycle because the shame just keeps compounding. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger unless we talk back to it. So that is what the tool is here when we think of feeling shame when we drink. And, you know, I've experienced this a lot with clients. Sometimes we're on video. Sometimes we're just on a phone call and they'll be like, I screwed up, Rachel. And I can just see this like, I mean, my heart just breaks for them because they drank. And I'm like, so what? Like, (laughs) so what? You know, I mean, if you weren't putting yourself in danger, you weren't driving a car around, sometimes they'll only have one drink and they feel this intense shame. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to right size what this really is. You had a glass of wine. Who gives a shit if that's your first glass of wine in 100 days or 99 days and you didn't make it to 100? Who cares? That doesn't matter. So, you know, for me personally, it's one of the reasons why I don't count days. Never have. I've never counted days. I know it works great for people. It's a good motivator. But dang, when you got to admit to yourself you got to start all over at day one again. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about compounding shame. How many day ones have I had? This is my 31st day one. Something's wrong with me. You know, it just, it feels like it opens up the gate for me personally on the, the whole shame narrative and the whole, you know, inner critic. So I don't, I don't count them. So people are like, well, you say you were, you know, sober for almost a year. How many days was that? You know, like almost a year. What does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. I never counted the full days. I don't remember the first day I decided to have one drink. I don't remember. It was almost a year long because I remember it was around the same time that I had decided to take the break. But I'm like, I don't know. And I don't care. I just don't think it's relevant for me personally. So, you know, I think sometimes we've been doing this just ass backwards, you know, thinking about this totally backwards and not really talking to the deeper reason why we're stuck in this cycle. Shame is, is awful. It feels awful. We don't want to feel it. And you can, you know, talk back to it. You can start to say, wait a minute, like, Hey, I, you know, I don't quite deserve this. I'm not going to let you talk to me in that way. Um, so I say all the time, I talk to myself all the time. Sometimes I'll start keynotes with that where I'm like, who in here talks to themselves on the re- on a regular basis? And people kind of laugh, you know, because it's like it used to be like, well, if you're talking to yourself, you've, you're crazy, you know, like, and if you start to talk back, then you're even crazier. Um, and I totally disagree. So I actually think some of the most resilient, successful human beings know how to talk to themselves. They know how to talk back to themselves and have a literal dialogue with conflicting parts of themselves. And we all have those conflicts. Like we all have these back and forth of like, oh my gosh. And we have to sort of almost like argue the case for both sides until we can figure out what we really believe in that situation. So I want you to consider the idea of how much shame have you had compounded that's just layer upon layer upon layer around drinking. And Now that the narrative is starting to switch in our culture where people are like, it's so bad for you. It's so awful for you. I can't believe you drink rocket fuel. It's poison. I cannot, you know, like that's, that's not helping us either. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that when we know we have that knowledge now, we feel like we should be able to do better. And if we have one drink, then it's like, oh, I'm drinking rocket fuel. So it's similar to the donut, right? I'm drinking something bad for me. 
And so, of course, that's going to create a stress response for me because now my brain believes it's actually bad. So as I'm on this journey, you know, at the beginning, I didn't really think alcohol was bad, you know, and I still don't think alcohol is bad. It's neutral to me. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't have to be assigned good or bad. I think it can be both, you know, so it's like, I, it's just neutral. But when we, you know, go down that pathway of it's bad now, well, now our brain sees it that way. So of course we're going to, you know, experience more shame if we do drink. Of course we will. So I want you to focus in on talking back to yourself in a more self-compassionate way. And I know I talk about self-compassion all the time. I think some people see that as like a little woo-woo or like, like fluffy, you know, it is not, it's hard to do for those of us that have a strong inner critic and most of us do. And so create, you know, like we just need to, to practice self-compassion because we don't do it often enough. We hardly ever do it. And nobody's coming for us. Like nobody's going to come and tell us how great we're doing and how proud they are of us. We're grown ass adults. So we got to do it to ourselves, right? We got to offer that self-compassion to ourselves because we don't have anybody else to do it for us. So practice self-compassion. I know it's a huge part of my program that I think is a huge shift for people when they can get into that space. And again, I'm still working on this one. So um, I think I'll work on this one forever because I spent, you know, the first half of life just beating the crap out of myself. And I've got to keep working towards, you know, not beating myself up and recognizing where I'm accountable. It doesn't mean I let myself on the, off the hook. I was accountable for choosing to drink three drinks that night. But I also can understand how I got there and also have some pride in how far I've come. I'm still drinking 95% less than I was drinking three years ago. That's a huge ass win. So like you know, really, again, right-sizing that shame, like, wow, I actually have a lot to be proud of with where I am. And then that shifted, like the shame just started to go away because I started just to tell the truth about it and it started just to go away. And it's like, oh, well, you know what didn't happen? I didn't go and drink four drinks the next night and six drinks the next night. And that would have been my previous habit because I wanted the shame to go away. So that's why I was drinking more and more and more and more, which is why most of us drink more and more and more and more if we are not addicts. So think about the self-compassion piece. Talk to yourself. Have full-on conversations with yourself. If anyone says you're crazy, send them my way, and I will tell them that you are not crazy. You are just talking to yourself like a human being needs to in order to live in the current world that we live in. So I hope this helps for the compounding shame, gives you something to think about. I think it's really true, and it sort of was one of those revelations that I had over the last few months as I was taking my sabbatical. Stay tuned for what's coming in the fall. So I am planning on doing some sort of a membership program. I haven't fully flushed it out, but I want people to have more of a community aspect while they're learning. So they get the learning piece plus community, and then they stay for community. And so that is coming soon, reasonably priced. I know like everybody is being hit by the economy. I don't care who you are. You go to the grocery store and you're like, how did $180? I got like two pops and a loaf of bread and some eggs. What happened here? So it's going to be reasonably priced. It'll be membership style. Um, As always, I always tell people, like whenever you join anything of mine, if you can look me in the eye and say, you got nothing from it, I will refund every single penny, no questions asked. So that's it. You can look me in the eye and tell me that. Never had to do it. So, you know, I'm not planning on having to do it. But look for that. And again, just be gentle with yourself. (laughs) 
if you're new to this journey, if you're three, four years in this journey, you know, be gentle with yourself. Either way, I'm telling you self-compassion is the anecdote to shame. And we all know that shame is such a spiral and keeps us stuck, keeps us stuck in this cycle. So have a great week. I will be back next week. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.